0: Welcome to Post Break. My name is Chris Peterson, Board Secretary of the Post New York Alliance. This is our weekly discussion of the forces continuing to shape what our industry is doing and how we're working and how we're doing business. And to that end, today's topic is a really good one, the future of Post. So now to introduce our moderator. She's a Post Production Supervisor and PNYA member, Diana DeCuylo.
1: Uh, hi everyone, thanks to Chris and thanks for the Post Alliance for having me. Um, I'm Diana, I'll be your moderator today. Uh, I am a Post Supervisor like Chris mentioned. I recently finished The Queen's Gambit for Netflix and my background includes facility producing as well as Post Supervising in both the documentary and narrative spaces. Uh, today's topic is the future of Post And since the film and television industry has been so affected by COVID in the last six months, both post and production teams have had to adapt to circumstances that none of us have experienced before. Uh, We've had to transition this inherently social in-person process of editing, finishing, and delivery to a remote one, which came with some bumps and bruises, but also a lot of lessons learned. and now that, that New York specifically is beginning to open back up for production and then eventually post, what does that mean for post? Uh, what has our time as remote workers taught us about our jobs and the future of positions in post-production? Um, so to introduce our panelists today, uh, our panelists are Chris Aruda, who's a post supervisor. After 26 years of producing ad campaigns, Chris transitioned to long-form narrative post through shows such as Happyish for Showtime, Vinyl for HBO, and Gypsy for Netflix. Uh, as head of post for Warrior on Cinemax, he began a two-year collaboration with showrunner Jonathan Tropper, and he's currently working with Tropper on seasons two and three of C on Apple+. Plus. Zach Tucker is the CEO and president of Harbor, Zach is a co-founder of Harbor, a top-tier global production and post-production studio serving the feature film, episodic, and advertising industries. Notable feature and episodic projects include Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman for Netflix, Solo, A Star Wars Story, Ocean's 8, Arrival, Billions for Showtime, and Sweet Bitter on Stars. And Peter Postma is the managing director of Filmlight Americas, where he leads development of tools for its true light and baselight systems previously served as a systems engineer at Eastman Kodak helping pioneer digital intermediate technology he has taught seminars on color management for production and post-production around the world and holds a bfa in film and animation from rochester institute of technology so welcome to everyone and thank you for joining us today
0: it's right.
1: Um, my first question uh, will is for all three of you so uh, can you each give a brief summary about how your your roles, your companies you know any productions that you've worked on have changed since moving to a primarily or entirely remote setup? Uh, what if any upsides have you found and what difficulties have you faced? Uh,
2: Chris, do you want to start? Sure. Um, hey everybody. Uh, I, we were well into... The second um, block of shooting for C. Uh, Right now, I'm working on uh, the second season of C, which is uh, a pretty big show for um, for Apple Plus. Uh, Big meaning lots of extras, lots of visual effects. uh, And and uh, we shot the the first episode, 201, and we're about a third into block two. And when everyone shut down, Um, we. Since Apple Apple is really hungry for content, they don't have the kind of library that you know Disney or or Warner does. So they wanted to make sure we made the, as much use as possible of our time off. And no one knew at that point in March how much time we we're going to have off. So we went ahead. We had they wanted us to cut and 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 lock 201. Um, so Zach, we're working uh, at uh, at Harbor. And his team, uh, tech guys and girls, uh, were, I mean, very, very quickly set us up with um, a, a remote system. I had one editor, uh, one assistant editor, and I had a VFX team. Um, because the other thing Apple asked for is, let's just go ahead and do all the visual effects once we get a lock. So we worked until all, said, all of this uh, kept going until the middle of July. And then we've been off, and just now... We're starting up again. Um, uh, production is resuming on October 16th, I think, or middle of October. Um, so, you know, the the rush of getting everything up and running uh, in in March, when everything was uh, frantic and no one knew what the hell was going on. That was that was rough and bumpy, but uh, we did it, and uh, you know we, we ended up with a, almost a lot. There's a couple of scenes that haven't been shot, um, and you know it, it it it's hard to that time was so crazy that it's hard for me to you know quantify how well things worked, and also the the technology wasn't there yet. What what and Zach will talk about where where, where we're at now. And we're literally—my first two systems have, are loading in as we speak. Uh, my first AE is loaded in. She just texted me. said all her equipment's in. Um, and this is going to be—it's just going to be a very different system. And, and uh, so uh, check in with me tomorrow, and I'll let you know how it's working. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I think you know—it's—we'll it's, talk more about pros and cons. Um, but. Uh, this is where we're at we're, you know, we're, it, it, there, there's no choice in the matter right now. And uh, for me as a head of a department, uh, not having not being able to pop into my editor's suites, not being able to have the whole team meet for lunch uh, every day is um, a bummer because that's probably my favorite part of the job. Um, and it's also best for the creative process. So um, everything's going to take longer. We all know that. And, um, and I, you know, I, I hope as soon as uh, things get better, we're, we're back in brick and mortar. Um, am I rambling? Is there anything else you, what, what else? Is there anything else you want me <laughs> to cover? Uh,
1: no, I think that was, that was a good intro. And uh, Zach and, and Peter, if you can talk about your experiences as well.
3: Sure, I mean, uh, uh, good to see everybody, by the way. And uh, nice I see some, some familiar faces, even if it's uh, just on the screen here. Uh, you know, I think to, to sort of piggyback a little bit on what Chris said, and in terms of the transition over the last six or seven months, I think he kind of hit it on the head. You know, when when um, we first went into lockdown, the demand or request from the shows was, you know, please give us something so we can keep going. Right. And there was a, there was a real moment of collaboration there between us and the productions. Everyone was sort of quite understanding on both sides, saying we're going to stand something up, but, you know, it's not going to be what you're used to. Um, having been on prem, And then over the last six months, and it, well, I would say over even the two months into it, the, the, the requirement shifted dramatically because everyone realized we're going to be, be here for a while. And the requirement really shifted to, you know, both on our side in terms of what we wanted to be able to provide and what would had to happen creatively was that you had to be able to provide as close to, and in some cases, hopefully better, um, remote experience—a uh, remote experience that rivaled being on-prem. That was sort of the mandate, and that's really what the the challenge has been, and we'll, you know that we've been focused on, so that we don't slip backwards creatively, security-wise. Security is a big concern. You know, we've gone so far over the last several years in content security, and all of a sudden, with all these distributed workflows, how do you make sure that you don't slip backwards in that in the, in that way? Um, you know how do you have real creative interaction, over-the-shoulder type review with the director and editor, for example, or a cinematographer and a colorist uh, during the post process um, that doesn't, or in the same thing, whether it's picture or sound, that that doesn't end up coming up short or something less than what we've all come to expect in terms of the quality standard, and the fidelity, and the, and the creative exploration. Um, you know, I, you know. Uh, and there's been very different you know there's overlap but certainly significantly different approaches and workflows and technologies put forward depending on the facet of production or post that we're in you know editorial is significantly different than color and significantly different than sound um, and obviously different than visual effects in terms of how do you execute all this remotely and still give everyone you know hopefully uh, you know an acceptable level of creative interaction and collaboration, um, and oversight. And in some cases I have to say, in some cases, uh, you know, creatives have come back and said, I was, I was leery of how this was going to work and now I'm not going to work the other way. Um, so, so there's been some cases where folks have been extremely, um, embracing of a new way of working and other folks have said, yeah, look, we got through it and I'm glad we were able to do it that way, but I can't wait to get back. Um, you know, so, and, and, and you know, uh, I think, you know, everyone's sort of saying, well, what's coming and in our mind, And I've, I've discussed this a bunch with Chris, um, in our mind, what's coming is, 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 you know, it we don't see it hundred percent going back to what was normal. We see the new normal being a hybrid, both for, you know, safety reasons, but also for collaboration reasons. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things that has come out of this, that was always possible before but wasn't as widely adopted is this idea that you can tap artistry and craft artists pretty much wherever they are, which means that if you're dying to work with your colorist that's an LA based colorist and the production post has to happen in New York, now that's sort of like everyone's like, yeah, we'll just pipe it in. Or, you know, yeah, we'll do a hybrid. And so, you know, if there's any sort of silver lining, it is sort of this idea that that artists can tap creatives that they wanna work with um, in a more borderless fashion. Um, what do I? What, what do we really see as the biggest challenge? Uh, is not so much can we execute post production remotely because we really think that's not the problem. Um, it's not easy, but it's not the problem. The real problem is how do you maintain the cultural cohesion and the and the rapid and interactive um, creative collaboration when you're not next to each other. So many things right. happen when you're in the room together, um, and that's really what we don't think we have solved yet um, <laughs> and we're working towards it and working where, you know, there's ways you try to uh, get close to it, but that's really, you know, that's really what we're playing with. And so one of the ways that we've been looking at it is in a, in a hybrid way of having moments where people do come together. Maybe it's smaller groups, but Chris needs to sit with the director. They're going to, they're going to come in and sit together in a safe way, have everything at their fingertips and maybe they'll disperse again. You know, these these sorts of ideas are, is, is kind of how we're looking at it, Diana.
1: And, uh, Peter, how is Filmlight helping to uh, adapt to this, this remote model that we're all working with right now and, and you know, what have been your your lessons learned and, and what has come out of this for you?
4: So, at, at Filmlight, we're really all about uh, color correction, providing the base light tool set um, and, and other tools to do color correction at post. Um, and, having a client remote to the color session is not a totally new thing. That's been a problem for a while where you have a director, DP, producer, whoever, you know, shooting, uh, you know, on location somewhere and they can't make it back to the color suite. So you've for a while had to be able to have a way they can review images. Um, and you know, kind of the ideal way to do that would have been you go into some calibrated color environment at at that remote location. Hopefully you have another, uh, post, Uh, post-production office you can use there or you set set up a calibrated monitor you know that they can look at in the right environment Um, and then you stream uh an image to them while the colorist is working out of their facility um so it became a problem to even do that because you know if if no facility is available in the remote location either you're looking at trying to stream into someone's home or, or things like that and there's obviously limit limitations on the quality of displays and the quality of the v- viewing environment that they're in, um, and also the quality of the internet connection—how how good an image you can you can stream to stream to them. Um, but then the other part of it was a problem, which was. Uh, relatively new for, for everyone, which is sometimes the colorist had to be remote from the machine as well. You know, in, in some ways, in color, you would think it'd be ideal for quarantining because it's you know someone working in a dark room by themselves all day, but um, uh, you know, if the colorist does have to uh, isolate for two weeks or, or whatever, or there's health reasons that you know, they, they, they can't come into the facility either, or it's more important that you know, someone else from the creative team be there, we had to figure out ways of letting the colorist work remotely as well. Um, So that's been a a big part of our effort over the last few months is trying to make that as as streamlined as possible, because in in color correction, you're bringing together all the highest quality elements, you know, for the final finish. So it's not something you can just do on a laptop or an iPad or something. You need, you know, some serious computing horsepower with fast storage and fast GPUs and all that. Um, So for some people, the answer is, well, I take that big computer and I, you know, disregard the fact that it's noisy and I just put it in my home and I work with it. Uh, But for a lot of people know that, that, those images have to stay at the facility anyway because there's studio requirements that they be behind multiple locked doors and all, all that sort of thing. Um, so we we ended up setting up remote sessions for the colorist as well, where they could you know basically remote log into the to the Baselight system, uh, see a stream of the image themselves, and also send that that stream to the client. Um, and we also enabled uh, everyone to take their Baselight license onto a Mac if they wanted to, so that obviously you wouldn't have the same horsepower as you would with that bigger machine, but they could at least do pre-color work and start kind of prepping a session. Or if maybe the colorist went into the facility, but an assist was helping them conform, that assist work could be done uh, re- remotely on the Mac. Um, and it just ended up kind of looking very different for a lot of different customers, You know, particularly when you think about like the demands of a, of a feature film where you really need a big screen to review stuff, there's really no, no replacement for doing that final review in, in a theater with a big screen. You know, for a commercials thing where a lot of viewing is going to be on, you know, a computer monitor anyway, then maybe you can get by with, you know, a a kind of easier setup uh, for that review.
1: Uh, Thanks. And then, uh, Zach, so if uh, Post shifts to a, a, you know, hybrid or, you know, more remote, you know, if we become a more remote workforce in the future, it's going to change the physical footprint that... Productions have in facilities. So, how do facilities adapt to, you know, fewer office rentals but more equipment rentals and you know remote engineering support and remote IT support?
3: Right, four thousand dollar question for uh, (laughs) most facilities at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's the right question. You know, uh, you know, we were, we were, you know, as, as a point of reference, you know, we were an hour away from adding (coughs) significant square footage to our facilities in March. And obviously, uh, uh, we, we put the brakes on that. Um, as this all dropped, um, you know, the way, you know, like every every facility is going to have to look at this differently. Um, the way, the way that we are looking at it is, um, is, is this idea that, you know, every service that we offer is now going to be, Is offered in a hybrid workflow option so that productions can mix and match as they see fit and do it on the fly. What do I mean by that? So, you know, an editorial team that's usually having, you know, uh, uh, 10 suites at Harbor or 10 suites at uh, somewhere else, um, they may decide to keep all 10 and have people work in and out of them, work at at home sometimes and, and work in the facility. They may decide to say, look, we're going to scale back and only have two or three suites on-prem and everyone else is going to be remote and we're going to mix and match. Um, you know, if, you, you know, if, if you think about it, in, in some ways, the way that we're seeing it is that, is that if the ventilation is right and you know, you've taken all the right precautions uh, safety-wise, an edit suite is actually a pretty good place to be <laughs> by yourself, right? like so in some ways we're looking at it that you know it, it, as, as places go it's actually the right if, if you're going to come on prem an editor and edit suite we're not overly concerned about if all the precautions are in place in a traditional environment where you know where the the showrunner and the director and the editor and the assistants are all sitting in a room together better be a pretty big room right and um, and so we're actually not looking at you know reducing our footprint we want to keep a relatively large footprint so we can keep everyone spread out. I will say that, you know, the, whatever is you know, silver lining there is right now we're talking about the sort of editorial phase, the silver lining is theoretically, you know, as, as productions come back online, which is already starting to happen and there's this massive demand for what we do, all of us on this call, we can actually take on more capacity because we won't need real estate for every single person on the production. Right, so that it's it's feasible that we we could be able to accommodate more than we than we were before, you know. On the on the if I think about the the longer the the post production side when I think of you know color and sound, which you know you tend to have these very you know bespoke studios that are built and and as Peter mentioned, not so easy to handle from home. If you're talking about especially on the theatrical side or on the mixing side, you know having the real estate is even more important because as Peter mentioned, we may, we have a number of scenarios where, you know, the, the artist may be remote, but piping the signal sound or picture into a theater where the creatives are sitting and doing their review. So we need to have those spaces. We also have scenarios where both the creatives and the artists both want to be on-prem at the same time. And so we need two theaters. Right. I've got colorists sitting in one theater and literally in the adjacent theater, the client's sitting there so they can yell at each other uh, literally over, over uh, through the door, so to speak, but maintain some distance. Um, so, you know, we, we really look at, you know, w- w- you know, yes, we've all got to sort of um, barrel through this together. But, you know, I would not say I would say that the demand for what we do before this all happened was tremendous. Now it's on steroids, right? Because more people are spending more time at home um, and, and entertainment really, really comes into play there. So you know th- that's how we're sort of thinking about the real estate function at the moment.
1: Um, and similarly to that, uh, Chris, I'm curious to see if you see this changing the financial calculation for shows and for studios because office space and the real estate footprint that Post requires is a, is a pretty significant line item in a budget. So do you imagine that studios will encourage remote working in order to either reduce the budget or shift those financial resources to a different part of the show?
2: Here's my belief is it's, it's our responsibility as, as productions, producers, artists to not let this, you know, I I don't like the idea of this being permanent. For me, there's, there's, I like Zach used the the term uh, cultural cohesion. Um, You can't, Create that, um, uh, you know, with with this, uh, with with technology, and um, I, so far I'm working with Endeavor Content right now, and they are absolutely ready for us to go back to the brick and mortar as soon as we can. Um, so I I I'm, and I'm, that that makes me hopeful, um, and you know, I, I, yes, of course, those rooms are you know six hundred bucks a week or more. And uh, it just, I'm glad Zach said this too. Uh, The winter before COVID hit, we couldn't find, it it was really hard to find space. Everyone, every single facility was strapped for space. Um, So, you know, it is interesting that this happened right at the point where it seemed like we were at a, a tilting point in New York. Because of all the work, we were so busy, and we'll be that, that busy again. But I really feel it's you know the creative process. This is a really collaborative medium, and so if if we're stuck at home, um, it, it, it's it's going to impede that. And so I it really can't come down to the bottom line of I don't want to pay for rental anymore. Um, and I, I feel that if if we present a strong enough case for that, um, I, I, I think we can keep networks and studios from just looking at the bottom line of, like, well, I don't want to pay New York rental prices. I think that's really important.
1: Um, also, piggybacking off of something that Zach said, he had mentioned the idea of borderless work with colors and creatives. So although you, you like the idea of uh, going back to the brick and mortar, do you think there is an advantage to the lessons learned from working remotely and having that extend to, you know, editors and colorists and other creatives in the process and not being, you know, limited by being in, in New York or working in Manhattan versus Brooklyn for, uh, your, your creative resources on a project.
2: Diana, I'm glad you asked that because it, it, yes, there is absolutely, you know, f- for as simple as, uh, my DPs are are never around. If you know, if I'm working on a New York show that's being shot in New York, we'll on the weekends we'll go to color reviews while we're still shooting. And as soon as we stop shooting, the DP is off somewhere else. And I still want them on 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 color. Or my DP is, you know, just located in South Africa or, you know, I, I the and for most of the shows I've worked on, it's just been budget-wise, to get these DPs um, into a real uh, a session that that is, um, you know, usually it was from facility to facility, um, not from home to facility, but if, you know, if I was working with a, a, a DP in South Africa, and, you know, he would h- hook up with a, a facility there, and we'd, we'd be at Harbor, um, it seems to me that because we're refining this, that this won't be as cost prohibitive as it was, I would hope not because we're, you know, this is where everything is kind of going. So I do think that there's, um, there's a benefit there. Um, And also my showrunner is the one I'm working with now is always, always in a, a new writer's room when we're in post. And often that writer's room is in LA or not New York. So to be able to Keep uh, keep him more part of the process um, will definitely be helpful um, right now because we're shooting in Toronto and there can't be any back and forth. He's got to quarantine in each place for two weeks. You know, if he, if he if he hops back and forth, so there won't be. Um, so you know, for for now, this is all essential. I you know, as I think about us g- getting back into the swing of things and after this. COVID nightmare is over and we're back in facility, yes, I do believe that there's going to be use for this hybrid setup that Zach keeps talking about, and, and, I, and that's what we're, we're doing. We're going to keep two rooms uh, uh, available at Harbor for our editors to share once, probably this won't be until the spring, but once Jonathan comes back, we'll, uh, we'll have those rooms available so that, you know, and, and they'll share them, and they'll be cleaned down in between, and that, I think that will that will work fine. So yeah, I I do think that things will come out of this that will be permanent and lasting and be options for us. Um, and you know, borderless is, is a good way to put it. You know, we we we're, we work with a lot of busy people who go off to other shows, other projects right away. So to keep them involved, um, this will be very helpful.
3: Yeah, I would I would piggyback two things on that. Um, one is in terms of what's going to it was happening before, obviously, but but now it's sort of become more, uh, you know, part of the process is like, definitely, you know, the one that Chris mentioned specifically, this idea that cinematographers who obviously have gone on to the next show or project can stay involved and make sure that like, we get their creative intent is a game changer. Right. And it's, it's not free, but it's close compared to like flying a DP back to New York or back to LA or London and putting them up and it is free. So like, I think that, I think Chris is right. That, that barrier is just way reduced, especially because we've got so much more infrastructure around it now in terms of our network that it's, it's an incremental cost. It's, it's not, it's a rounding error. The the other thing that I think is kind of interesting in terms of what will carry on, I can tell is for all of us, um, that work in the craft, that are that are doing the stuff. You know, the, the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of our artists is they like being able to come into work some days, work till five or six, and then rather than stay till midnight to finish and get home in the middle of the night, they bounce at six o'clock, go home, have dinner with their family and put in a couple hours. Now, I'm not advocating everyone should work 24-7, but lots of folks want to... They're they're putting you know, this is post put people put in long days. And so the idea that they can do the last hour or two from home after they settle in and seen their kids, you know, I've got I've got artists who have said, you know, I haven't seen my kids much the last couple of years.
0: Because mm. you know,
3: they get home after they go to bed um, and they're dedicated. Now they said, you know, I've seen my, you know, I'm doing just as much work. Unfortunately, in some cases more because no one ever sleeps. you know, I was on um, But They've got more control over their schedule and exactly how they execute and get everything done. And if you can facilitate that, so it's, you know, it's Fisher Price easy to do it, which is a lot of I think what Peter's team is working on on, on Baselight, um, you, know, you can get a little bit of the best of both worlds. And that's, I think, you know, it's a lifestyle enhancement, you know, which, which I think is why some of this stuff is gonna carry forward uh, regardless of exact, you know, once, the, once this thing subsides.
2: Exactly. Yeah, kind of question you,
3: for you. Yeah. No. You say, I was just going to add to that too. Just to say that, yeah,
4: um, <clears throat> you know, we I, I find the, the remote calibration, uh, the remote work works really well if with a creative team that already has some experience together. Um, so if it's a colorist who's worked with a DP and a director of four and they've already had a chance to kind of develop some some shorthand or sense of each other's aesthetics. Then, then taking that to remote situation where they can send, you know, notes back and forth and all that works pretty well. But yeah, there's there's no substitute for all being in a room, you know, talking about us talking about something creatively and reading each other's body language, you know, to, to develop that in the first place. So I don't think we'll ever completely replicate that in a in a distance setup. Uh, but if you are able to, you know, first get together and do that, then there's a lot of work that can be done remotely.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. If yeah. you if, if you already have the shorthand. Um, with, you know, between a, a DP and a, a colorist, um, this remote working is, is going to be a lot simpler. One, the thing I wanted to uh, ask Zach is what, what you described that artists who can work a little bit at home and then uh, or work at the office and then go home and keep working, that would require a full setup in the brick and mortar at Harbor and a remote setup. Like well all the time, right? Well, yeah
3: y yes and no. I mean it depends on which phase you're talking. It's a great question. It depends on which phase you're talking about. You know, if you're talking about, for example, um, let's talk editorial for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, the the setup we have you in, uh what your your current show in is, you know, your avid's living at at harbor and your storage is there, but really the controls and the monitoring are at are, are, are your remote editors place. Right. But you know, for if, if all, if, if you had an editor that wanted to go back and forth all day, we would literally add a couple, you know, a couple of GUI monitors and a broadcast monitor on-prem, and now they could go back and forth. So you're not talking about much to make that happen, right? I mean, that's incremental, right? And, this, and the same go then goes happen, you know, and the way that on, the po- on what I consider like the post side, let's take color, for example, all of our infrastructure for all of our talent is on-prem. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's off-prem is some is controls and remote monitoring. So, you know, our colorists can come in at nine o'clock in the morning, be working on episode seven, and literally get up from their console, walk home, and open episode seven at home and keep working. Um, so I, I really, and, I, and, I, and that has been happening on, on a daily basis. And to, you know, and to echo what Peter said, he's exactly right. And I have, case, I have case studies in both scenarios that Peter mentioned, one where the artists and the creatives have worked together before and one where they have not worked together before. And the ones where they worked together before, they started off remote and came in at the end for a final sign-off. And the ones where they hadn't, they started off on-prem together, did a lot of work remote, and then came in for a final sign-off. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exactly right. It has a lot to do with what everyone's sh- um, shorthand is do you get what I, you know, do we get each other when I say add more contrast, exactly what I mean by that, and that kind of
1: um And Zach, piggybacking off of that, so the most technically part, uh, challenging part of uh, a feature or a television show is the finishing process where you have, you know, expensive calibrated equipment in expensive calibrated rooms. Um, so how uh, how does remote, you know, post and remote finishing affect the world right now? And, you know, even in the future, will remote post or hybrid post be, um, a reality or just because of the, the price tag and the equipment necessary, is that always going to be primarily an in-person function?
3: I'm not sure what you mean by the price tag. Uh,
1: the, the, the price tag of having... Um, you know, an X-300 of having a base light, of having everything set up where obviously you can't send an X-300 to every, you know, DP and producer's house. That's something that, that can really only live on-prem or live with a colorist. So you're not going to get uh, a calibrated monitor exactly the way it should be in everyone's house. There's always going to be some kind of approximation if it's a remote setup.
3: The, I mean, the way the, the, this, this goes a little bit to what Peter brought up in the beginning is if, if you're like, for example, if you're talking about the color side, um, the challenge is, you know, what is the remote viewing environment and how does the, how do you make, how do you ensure that the cinematographer who's remote and the colorist who's on-prem are seeing the same thing? This is a, this is a big question, right? Um, you know. The way, that, the way that we are solving that, and there's, there's different ways to solve this is you know our color scientists have vetted certain monitors for HDR and SDR that they sign off on. There's a limited number. But even there, the problem becomes, you know, if the cinematographer is on one monitor and your colorist is on another monitor, you've got a discrepancy. That's one discrepancy, the other. Is discrepancy. So the way we solve that is we make sure that they both have the exact same monitor. The colorist may also have an X-300, but if for example, you know, we've signed off on the iPad Pros, if they're calibrated properly, the cinematographer has one in wherever he or she is, and our colorist has, the, has one wherever he or she is, so that the colorist has the iPad Pro and the X-300. So they're looking at it. And this is where a little bit, I think, what Peter mentioned of trust, which happens when you've got people who have worked together before, you know, our cinematographer that's worked with Joe or Roman or Katie, they trust that they say, hey, these, these, are, these are magic. What you're seeing is good, right? That, that's one aspect. And then you go one step further. The problem is, okay, you sign off on iPad Pros, but which iPad Pro? Because if you get a batch of 1,000 iPad Pros, they won't look the same. And so, you know, our approach to that has been we order large batches of iPad Pros we send them all to our color scientists. They um, match all of them in that batch. And then those batches are the ones that go out per project. Mm. So We have a lot of confidence that everyone's seeing what everyone else is seeing. Um, and
1: you know, are you working primarily on iPad Pros? Or are you vetting and calibrating any, any consumer or prosumer monitors, uh, like, like larger, larger screens like televisions for these yeah, purposes as well?
3: Sure. Well, I mean, we we have sent out iPad Pros, we've vetted um, several 55 inch monitors, You wouldn't quote me, but it's probably the LG monitors um, that that's been that they were able to calibrate. Um, There's the nicer Panasonic monitor that we're able to calibrate. That's a legitimate client review monitor. Um, And, and in some cases, we have sent X300s. Because it's been that color critical on some projects, and we we just couldn't, you know, that that's what that's what the budget allowed for. Some of it's budget related, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that was how that worked, you know. The so you know, and then you you know, it gets even. You get into more complexities about the network and how you're making sure that signals are good and at the weakest link, which is at the home usually. Um, and and that that's obviously a significant challenge as well that we've gotten into. Um, you know, the other place to really talk about is sound. You know, uh, you know, sound is in some ways more challenging <laughs> because sound is not something that you can put on a nice monitor and put in a dark room and, and sort of get away with it to some extent. Um, you know, sound is more complicated. Um, we we've executed in similar ways with sound, where trusted craft and um, director teams that have worked together before have a shorthand, and you know, we've we've mixed you know, Atmos feature films that way um, where the team is, is on-prem and the creatives are getting remote feeds, like, you know, eight hours, 10 hours a day to multiple creative partners. Um, and then coming in, you know, at the end for the a day or so of the final mix, just to check and feeling like, wow, that, that, that really did match because there was a lot of engineering that went into that and getting a lot of confidence about it. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, this is not to say that I think that this is a, preferred replacement for what happens when we're all on the stage together. It's not what I'm saying. Um, what I'm saying is, what I overall would say is like post is not the problem. Like we, we, we can get by, we, we can get by at a very high level, um, especially when we all collaborate and come up with what feels right to everybody. Um, uh, you know, can, you know, the, the biggest challenge we've thought over that is can production get back? Which it does seem to be doing quite successfully. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's all
1: in there. Um, and now that, that production is starting to, um, is, is starting up again, but it does look like post is going to be remote for a while longer. You know, the, um, the, the, rumors that I've been hearing is that shows that are starting up now are, are basically assuming they'll be remote for the next five or six months. Um, my last question for you guys is about. Cultural cohesion, which we've been touching on uh, throughout, which um, it's it's a combination of both in-office culture and networking. So, on the networking front, the Post Alliance has added panels like these. You know, they just did their first virtual pig. They've introduced more formal networking opportunities um, for people to expand their professional network. So, I guess my question is, um, you know, until the world becomes, you know, an in-person social experience again, how do you maintain the social aspect of what we do, both in the networking sense, like what we're doing, you know, here, um, and then also an office cultural cohesion of, um, you know, what do you substitute for those lunch table conversations? How do you mimic um, walking into an edit room and and speaking with someone? How do you uh, hold on to that a little bit while we're all in disparate places?
2: I can start. Um, first of all the you know, this does work and we have we'll have at least we'll we'll see it's I'm starting off with weekly Zoom calls every Tuesday with my entire department. Um, I have a feeling those will become more regular than just once a week. Um, just so that we can and you know what's happening now at least with my show and I hear a lot of shows is they're being cross-boarded for the entire season. So there's one director and everyone's all my editors are going to be working at the same time. It's not block shooting anymore, at least not for our show. So there's, there's going to be a, a lot of scenes coming up at the same time. And, you know, we all have to decide who's got something that we're going to then get to the director, who's probably going to see it more or less the same time as, as uh, my showrunner, um, because there's just not time for the traditional director cuts anymore. So there's just so much that i as head of the department and all of us need to keep aware of and if we're not you know getting all together like we're all together right now and and talking about what's going on and where everyone's at things will get you know things will drop uh through cracks and um so that that will help we're setting up slack so there's an easier way which i haven't used before but you know i'm hearing that it's an easier way to, to you know, send files back and forth, as well as chatting, and, and there's a video option. Um, you know, I, I, we're going to have to do, we're going to have to take advantage of, of technology as best we can to, you know, get as close as we can to working together in an office. But that is why things are are. Going to take longer and, and and that's another thing i'd bring up to to studios who think that wow, maybe I, we can get away with we'll just have everyone work at home now and we don't have to pay that six hundred and fifty dollars a week for rooms anymore well what are you going to pay what, for for the the lack of fluidity in the process the extra time that things are going to be taking it's all you know all of this matters, and um, you know for right now i will you know i I will just have to use this, uh, this technology to keep us informed. And just, you know, what I keep telling my my staff is none of us have done this. This is all new for all of us. So just if if something comes up and, you know, it, it, you know, I don't want people working long hours um, just because they're at home. I think it's really important to have boundaries and you walk away from your workstation um, and be with your family. Uh, There's you know, I, I had to convince the studio to keep my PA because the the assumption is that since we're not getting lunches prepared, you know, given to us or, or a snack shelf to be stocked, that we don't need a PA, which is a that's completely wrong. So there there's a there's a lot that is incumbent on on us to make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't become the new normal. There's there's great technical reasons why. A lot of this stuff is good news and will help us out um, in the future, and I, I'm, I'm 100% behind that. But but this working from home being an option, sure. I think that you know, Zach, you were talking about the you know equipment-wise, it wouldn't be that much more to have a home set up and a um, you know the on-prem setup. But still, we're going to get into the the costs of of, of, of those weekly uh, rental fees for the rooms and you know that you know that will I I don't see at least the studio I'm working with right now I don't see a situation where they'd be fine with a full setup uh, of offices on-prem and then everyone has their backup that would be the ideal situation right is that you know we've got both Um, there's no way I I, at least the studios I'm working right now would go for that Um, so you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. And hopefully this won't last as long as uh, um, hopefully a year from now, we'll be able to um, put this away, but we don't know. Yeah,
3: I would would echo, you know, um, we're all working towards trying to get, um, trying to get back to (laughs) uh, being together. But I would say like, you know, you know, we were approached it a few ways um as as chris mentioned about taking advantage of the of the uh of this sort of technology it's become much more facile i mean to be honest with you like seeing porath and vico and todd and 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 johan like even just here goes a long way like i'm i'm definitely moved by this call in terms of just like you know i mean i wish i wish i could hug all you guys you know it's good it's it's really good to just see everybody and it it's, a, I didn't realize how much I missed some of you guys until this call. Um, so I think that really does help. You know, the, the, the other way that we've been, you know, trying to, you know, take care of some of that cohesion thing is rather than what we used to do, which is like, let's all have lunch together or let's all meet up uh, in the theater together. It's much more one-on-one, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm scheduling time with my engineers rather than four of them with one of them once a week. So just to like, and we can lock in a little bit because I think that's safer, you know, and we're doing that in a safe way. And so like, even though if we're sitting there with a mask or, you know, we're across from each other, we can lock in. And in some ways, you know, I'm getting more, you know, legitimate time rather than pumping out each other in the hallways. I'm actually getting to sit there for 30 minutes and talk to somebody. Um, and so we've been encouraging that sort of thing when, when, it's, when it's feasible. Uh, But, but yeah, you know, that's the challenge. I think you struck on, you struck on, you know, we all got into this thing to create together, right? I mean, that's, that's why we got into this, this racket. Um, And so, and, um, and, and so I think you're, you're hitting on the sort of, that we got to figure it out because it's what keeps us all motivated, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly.
1: Yeah.
4: Yes, as uh, both Chris and Zach were saying, I think it's just really important to be to be mindful of it, you know, in in post, in particular, I think it's often very easy us for all just kind of focus on the task at hand and only, you know, raise the alarm when there's a problem or even a question or something. Uh, But it's important, you know, as as people who are managing this process to make sure we're Yeah, getting people communicating, even if there isn't like a direct problem they're trying to solve, but just make sure we're on the same page headed in the right direction so that it doesn't become a bigger problem down the line. And that's, that's the sort of thing that would happen organically when you're all in the same place, but Mm -hmm. you got to have to be more mindful of it and and force it a bit to happen when you're, when you're all working remotely. Um, And then I would just say too, on the, on the technology side, we found that, um, uh, you know, just, just relying on the solutions that are out there were okay to get us through the first few months, but the the, the tighter we can integrate uh, tools to facilitate communication or facilitate streaming, streaming and stuff like that, the better. So like, as I mentioned, you know, we've had people doing remote color sessions for a long time where they stream the image to a remote client, and there's a bunch of different tools for doing that. Uh, but we saw clear advantages to really integrating that into the color correction process so that you can also have you know, note taking and marks and, you know, drawing up stuff and, and comments kind of all integrated in, into the application at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so that you also have complete control of that streaming process to make sure it's color accurate. Um, and we're even going to be providing some some test signals people can use to do just kind of a by eye check to make sure that their their display is co- properly calibrated and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I think on the technology front, it's just really about kind of taking some of the tools and and tailoring them more towards the specific tasks we do in post-production too, that helps a lot.
0: Diane, I think we should get into some uh, audience Q&A here. How about that? That sounds good. Um, So here's one, we touched on a key issue earlier that maybe we can flesh out a little more that of um, data security. How is everyone dealing with the security of their data around whether it's streaming Streaming files versus sneaker net versus downloading to one's home versus remoting into an on-prem server What have been the, the most prevalent methodologies there.
3: I mean, I can jump in if you want. V- very, little sneaker netting. Um, you know, the, definitely the the on the on the long-form side of the business in terms of the, uh, the studios, they they they, they have allowed some. Workarounds to what's what was generally the case in the beginning, but they've all pretty much, with respect to us, have gone back to saying, you know, no, you really need to maintain um, the, the standard security protocols. But that, you know, it provide it offers challenges, but not insurmountable ones in terms of content security. Um, you know, because re- really, our approach has been to continue to keep all infrastructure and and um, you know both both compute um, and storage on-prem and tap into it through secure connections, uh, you know, and, and, you know, if it's between facilities, there's private connections. And if it's, if it's, if it's out to homes, then it's, you know, know, it's software, software and hardware firewalls and VPNs. And that's really, that's really how we've approached it. Um, and also go, there's also some history to it, you know, um, uh, Depends on what facet or, or what discipline we're talking about. You know, sound editorial has tended in the in the past to be something that there has been a little more allowing editors to take media home. Um, on the commercial advertising side of the business, there's definitely less um, restrictions um, around that. But even there, you know, it's not just the security that mandates our approach to it. It's really the collaboration. Like that's what we really don't want to. And you know, once you start sneaker netting. And start having everyone have multiple copies of drives, you know, security aside, which is a real concern. The the colla- the collaboration we've all gotten used to goes out the window. Right. Um, so so that that you know that that's you know that that's what we're all about. So that's that's really
2: been our approach. Yeah, I, the studios that I've worked with, um, especially Apple and HBO, uh, are not going to want to you know ease up on their uh, on their protocol. Um, and like, like Zach said, I think in, in that beginning, like crazy uh, whirlwind of March. Um, sure. No one knew what was going on. But um, I, you know, what I have been telling the studio is we're keeping so much of the process. Um, what it was so um, like we had we had a call about dailies and how we're going to get dailies. And at first we thought maybe with because we got dailies from Company Three in Toronto. To uh, to harbor, um, first thought was um, you know go directly to the um, the nexus and um, create a partition, um, but you know, that would mean opening things up in a way there that we're not comfortable with. So we're still using the same transfer station um, that we w- would use if if we were there for in and out. Um, we're keeping all of the abid's air gaps and you know the the there will be three people that will have access to that uh, transfer station. It will be my three assistant editors. Um, And that's a, you know, a a single connection. It's uh, what I'm told by Zach and everybody, they're completely 100% uh, uh, secure. So, I mean, if, if that's, if that's the case, if we're, if we're remoting into our, uh, our system that's already in place, then we really shouldn't be, difference uh, in, in security.
0: Terrific, thank you. Um, we also touched on sound for a moment, but um, can we flesh that out a little more? How, how, describe a little more how sound finishing and mixing have been affected. Um, ADR recording is now hybrid, but how is mixing being handled if the director wants to remain remote? Um, are speakers being sent out to people or will the client be on the stage with mixers working remotely um, or are you using multiple stages like like you described with color sessions what what's been going on what's sound I think the, the the
3: real answer to that question is yes you know like 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 everything that's always been the case with 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 making um film and television and, and advertising is you know Every, every single production has its own approach and creative team and therefore works. It. I mean, that just, you know, we've always wanted, to, <laughs> there's times when you wish you could cookie cutter it and say this is the way it's always gonna be. Um, but A, that'd be uninteresting and B, it wouldn't work. And so, you know, the, the, the question about how we're handling, I think the question was around sound is, um, you know, it depends on what kind of project it is. If it is a commercial advertising mix, a stereo mix, folks aren't coming in at all. The artists are working remotely and doing remote reviews to someone on headphones, on the proper set of headphones, and they're signing off and it's all good um, in some cases. Um, If they want to come in, they come in and we pipe it into them and have multiple rooms like you just talked about. Um, You know, when you get more onto like the the episodic and the theatrical side, um, you know, a lot of the editorial work can be done remotely. Not all of it, but a lot of the editorial work can be done remotely. When it comes time to you know, look, we even have some remote Atmos editorial setups going. That said, you know, we have to, and everyone on this call, you know, we have to be able to actually stand behind it, right? And and not say, yeah, we think it's pretty good or we, we think it should be all right. At some point you, we have to stamp it. That's what you're counting on all of us to do. Um, and so, you know, even in those cases where a lot of the supervised review is happening remotely, almost invariably our artists are on the stage, and not 100% of the time, but most of the time, the director, the editor, you know, the showrunners and and post folks are coming in for sign-off in a a, a final review room, right? And, you know, there have been some cases where they're literally not able to, yeah, um, that that has happened with the never been able to, and they really have to put a lot of trust in other folks on their production team or or, or on our artists. Um, but you know the you know they had you know put extraordinarily stringent safety protocols in place. We've hired additional people to be COVID safety operators. Some of our yeah. client service staff has been certified as COVID um, uh, compliant officers, and so and as part of that is the idea is that. You want folks that do need to come in to feel that it's safe to come in and feel super solid about it. And the only way that it that happens is a) if it's documented, b) if lots of communication happens ahead of time so that people feel like oh they're thinking about this, so I don't have to think about it. So that Chris doesn't have to worry, his editor has to worry, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's you know that that's that's on us, um, and so that everyone you know uh, feels feel safe when they come in and work. Um, so. The, the, the long answer to, to your question is each one of these, each production, we are sitting down with the production crew and saying, here's, you know, there's multiple options on the table. How should we mix and match this so everyone, feel, so everyone feels solid about it? And that's how we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and, you know, whatever we come up with probably won't be exactly what everyone expected or may need to change. And so it's, it's a real-time discussion. You know, oh, there was too that felt too many people that we felt like we could have more and we're mixing and matching it on the fly. That, I mean, that's kind of what I've been discussing with Chris.
2: Yeah, and I've, I've been talking. You know, we just had a, a sound meeting uh, earlier today with Dave and um, the sound team. Um, about how we were. Oh, we just recovered we everything really not not so much the final mix process. We were talking to the, the, the onset mixture um, about how things were going to be captured and you know, we still are getting lobs, but they're, they're trying, you know, as much the contact with actors, obviously the sound team is in that inner circle, which are tested the most. Um, good Lord. What's, you know, we're all talking about post, but <laughs> what's happening on sets right now is, is unbelievable. Um, like, uh, hours of, of testing before the, the the shooting even starts. Um, and it's, it's going to mean, You know, uh, we're going to try to get uh, ADR to to happen on set when we can, because it's, you know, obviously that is going to be different, too. We've been sending rigs to actors houses uh, so that we can get them to record at home. But if it's our show is a lot of exteriors. And so that's going to not sound great if we're recording uh in a fall uh, inside so it's um the the a lot of sound has happened has always happened remotely like my dialogue editors i never see um you know so so part of that is just going to stay the same but absolutely what, what zach said about coming in and I, i've been saying about this about color and mix is there's we're absolutely going to be there i don't know how many i think it would just be my editor and my showrunner uh and me uh, if that would mean that we're going to need two rooms, that, that that's fine. But, you know, we have to, it's an atmosphere show. We've got to be in a, in a facility to, to hear that. Um, yeah. Terrific.
0: Um, about two more uh, fairly quick ones here, if we could, if everyone has time. I know it's the top of the hour now, um, but this is a good one for people in attendance who don't know all these technologies backward and forward, or this is all kind of new to them. Um, they're not in constant contact with the, the vendors or the manufacturers. Do you know any good places or resources to learn what makes a good remote setup? Any personal recommendations for monitor? Well, let's not get into recommendations for individual pieces of gear, but um, secure VPNs, do you think multiple companies would be looking for? In other words, how could someone, trying to get their arms around all this, where could they go to, to to learn? Yeah, I would just say that
4: one thing we've had to do as a manufacturer, you know, because we're not doing events and stuff like that anymore is a lot of these type of uh, live events and a lot of uh, webcasts and webinars as well. Um, so if you look at our website, or if you look at, you know, Abbott's website or other vendors, there's, there's a lot of uh, webcasts that are available to watch after the fact, uh, talking about this, we also did Uh, spotlights which are a bunch of our colorists and they talk about you know specifically how they've dealt with their remote setup on on different shows so um i don't think i haven't seen anyone kind of collate that together into one central resource yet Um, but definitely yeah if you look at a lot of industry association websites or manufacturer websites uh, that
0: information is there terrific and um zach and chris how are you keeping your knowledge up during this time um
2: i asked zach (laughs) (laughs) How are you mm-hmm. knowledge
3: up? You mean you mean how are we how are we, you know, staying abreast of what's going on? Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Look, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, Chris is joking, but like I talk to we talk a lot, you know, because it's you know a lot of it is us saying, all right, we'll come up with something, and I'll talk to Chris and like Chris, how does this sound? He's like yeah, or <laughs> they're like yeah, that's gonna that's gonna work, and you know we're, we're having lots of this kinds of dialogue because right. this is one of those times where. You know collaboration between the parties is more important than ever you got to be able to talk straight you know you, you know you got to be able to say hey look we'll, we'll set up this remote solution here's what's going to work here's what's not can you live with it right right Th- those kind, those kind of and we've you know you gotta have really frank discussions like that um, you know you, you know you're, you're you're relying you're having lots of you know legitimate and deep conversations with the vendors, you know, we talk to film light on a weekly basis, you know, and, and get get feedback and suggestions and back and forth, um, you know, uh, that, that's true of all of our storage vendors and stuff like that. And then also, you know, you've got, you know, you've got serious engineering chops out there that live this stuff. You know, they, they, they've, they've, been, they've been thinking about this stuff for a long time and implementing it. And this, this whole period Just turbocharged their aspirations and dreams to be able to put stuff in place that they wanted to do for a long time. So you know, but it's tough. You know, you come up with a remote solution, and tomorrow someone rolls out something that's innovative, and 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 you have to be willing to pivot because it's better. You know, you're not you're not setting and forgetting anything these days, right? Um, Not that you ever were, but it's it's happening quicker.
2: I want to talk about the collaboration that that Zach. I was joking, sort of, but you know, I I do count on, and I have, you know, this is the third season of a show, no, fourth season of a show that I've, I've worked with at at Harbor. And I I trust those guys. Like no matter what, before there was remote work, there's, there's issues. There's tech issues always. Um, And what I will say is when we threw that system together uh, in March, it did not work well. And the team, Stefan and, uh, uh, ben and the, the the people that Jack was just talking about who just lived for this stuff. It seemed like they were round the clock available. Um, I mean, I, I saw emails way late at night and, and, you know, that we need to count on that. A show needs to count on, I'm not a, a you know, I, the, the technology of a lot of this stuff to be quite frank is, you know, way over my head. I just need to know it works and I need to know that if it's, not, you know, if, if there's issues, if my editor, my assistant or whoever, my showrunner who's trying to, you know, uh, remote in to one of my editors, I got to make sure that's all going smoothly. And um, so far, you know, it, it, it does, even though we're not in the same space, I think more collaboration is happening and required um, than ever before, because um, there's just a lot more to you know, that, that's new. And these setups that I got that today that are, are loaded in by now, um, we'll start testing them out tomorrow. And, and there will be a role. Like it's, it's, we're just going to keep going. I will communicate what, how things are happening, uh, with the tech guys. And if there's bumps, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll go. And, and hopefully we can straighten them out as much as possible before dailies start coming in before cuts start going out. Um, So um, I've got a little bit of time to do that so I feel good about it.
0: All right, this will be our last question. I would just like to remind everyone that our next episode will be on the 15th of October and it will be about mindfulness. And then after we answer this question we're going to get teleported into the breakout rooms after I give everyone 60 seconds to jump off if they like. So here's the final question. Um, We like to touch on diversity topics in every episode and most of this conversation has been technical but given that the overall topic is the future of post our question is what do you think a companies or or those who are in hiring positions what what do you think their responsibilities are in terms of achieving inclusivity and equity and do you see yourself involved in those efforts is structural change needed and how do you think that
2: can be achieved I wonder if Jen is Jen is Jen Lane on this call? <laughs> because we, we just had a conversation about this. Um I mean that's a that's something that should not change because of this world we're living in. Um and you know, a lot of entry level positions uh are, you know, in, in my department, my two uh my PA and, and my uh coordinator are, are people of color and, um, you know, to, to fight for these positions, we need to fight for these positions, no matter what. But, um, you know, unless I'm misunderstanding the, the, the question, um, that is, you know, and I've, I've been on calls where we talk about how, how do we bring people into this? I don't know that many editors uh of of color uh, there, there there's not a, a a lot in in my view and so we and i've heard some really great ideas about how my view can be expanded and and how you know how can we work at that how can we be active uh in in those searches and where can we find help um because it would be nice for our industry to be less white um but i just the reason i brought up jen lane is one of the um the the, the world's they wanted to cut from my uh, department, surely based on money was the PA, which is ridiculous when you consider he uh, gets $1,000 a week. Really, that's where you're gonna go to, to save money. Um, and you know, I need him, but it just turned out that he happened to be a person of color too. And do I do I use that? Do I have to like play that card to keep him? I sure hope not. And I, I didn't, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my answer to that question is no. This world, uh, w- what's going on? We have a lot to deal with, but I don't think uh, inclusivity uh, should be affected by it.
3: I mean, uh, you know, you could talk a long time on this. Uh, I'll just give you one anecdote. Um, you know, because we were, this is actually on the commercial advertising side what we do. Um, because um, we were, because everybody's locked down. Um, we we had a we had a brief come across, and we start and our our, our live action producers our EPs um, s- started delving into in terms of resourcing for a director for the spot, um, for a series of spots. Because they were at home and online and that kind of thing, they they started tapping not just our our roster but looking at other kinds of rosters that are out there. Because there's m- many more independent film independent direct- independent commercial directors not always a sign, not always signed on production companies these days. We came across this incredible woman, um, and pitched her to, to the, the, the agency. Um, you know, a big, a big campaign for a big, you know, global brand and, um, th- they loved her and she's now been booked on four more campaigns as the director. So, I mean, it's just a cool story. Right. Um, and, and I don't know that, <laughs> you know, in some ways that's like a little bit of a silver lining of this whole thing. I'm sure there's many more with dark linings um, of, of bad things or whatever, the, the part of all this stuff. But that you know, that, that sort of somehow like it, it opened up our, um, our reach because we weren't just looking at the traditional channels that we're used to going to right on their backyard, or whatever it is. And uh, look, that's, that's a hell of a success story. So I'm hoping that we, you know, and, and you know, we saw, you know, I came, we saw the work he was, and, you know, she's off to the races. Um, so, um, you know, we're obviously extremely focused on this kind of stuff these days. Um, and, and, and it's absolutely our responsibility to,
0: to, to, to shift, the, shift the ground there. Terrific. Well, thanks so much, panelists. Thank you, Diana.